Welcome to Feeding the Flock and our expositions through the book of Ephesians. We are currently in chapter 4 at verse 1. Hi there, I'm Glendale Tony. I'm glad you joined me today for this Bible study. Let's begin reading at verse 1 of chapter 4 of the book of Ephesians where Paul writes this. Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So this begins not only a new chapter in the way that uh, the scriptures have been divided up uh, traditionally, but uh, actually it begins a whole larger section. You can uh, rightly be able to look at the first three chapters and see that uh, they are primarily chapters of of doctrinal issues. That is, uh, don't be afraid of the, the word doctrinal, by the way. It merely refers to teaching. It has to do with instruction, uh, formal instruction in many regards. But uh, in this regard here, it is the idea that Paul is laying out the, the revelation that uh, the, the Lord Jesus has given to him about not only his particular role, but in that role, be able to give uh, the Gentiles and the Jewish people uh, a um, a new um, organization that is a new identity an identity that's based upon the Messiah yes but upon the Messiah as the sin bearer and as the risen Lord and so the uh, first three chapters establishes what that means from a doctrinal position, you might say or from a teaching or an instructional standpoint. Um, and now chapter 4 begins the uh, larger section of the last three chapters of this book that uh, really delve into how the, does this apply. And uh, we would call that the practical issues. And that's uh, chapters 4, 5, and 6. But in some regards, there is another division parallel to that two main uh, issues that, that break down this book, there are basically three uh, issues. And that, uh, that is something that has been going on almost uh, imperceptibly. But uh, the um, chapter 2, verse 6 talks about the fact that we are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That is our position. And um, now, later later now in this uh, section of the book, we are going to be talking about uh, the practical things, how we behave based on our position or what is our experience in walking the Christian life in compared to what our position or our address is, our identity in Christ um, determines our behavior. And uh, the behavior part starts in chapter 4. Now, 
there is also in uh, not only in chapter four, it talks about uh, the fact that we are to walk worthy uh, in a manner worthy of the calling. So this is the walking stage. And this doesn't refer to the physical uh, body doing the walking, but it does refer to the spiritual life that we conduct ourselves here on this earth with our new identity in heaven. And so we are uh, double-framed, you might say, by by the physical life we live here on this earth, but he's not talking about the physical uh, ability to put one foot in front of the other, but the spiritual conduct is what he's talking about, a lifestyle, a behavior uh, kind of uh, approach to uh, living the Christian life, and this is how we are to act, and that is the walking stage. Now, later in uh, chapter 6, in the middle of chapter 6, in fact, uh, again, still in the practical uh, dimension of things, yet there is an additional shift in chapter 6 and verse 11 where he says to stand firm. And um, um, somebody many years ago that I read his book, uh, Watchman Nee is uh, the author, and the little book uh, as a commentary or an overview of the book of Ephesians, and it is titled Sit, Walk, Stand. And that uh, little book has made a huge difference. You can tell uh, in the way that I even outline the book uh, in uh, my own instruction here is adapted form of uh, that title and of his own book because it made such a great impression on me. Sit, Walk, Stand is a good way to remember how to divide this book into three parts. We originally talked about the two-part division between the doctrinal and the practical, but uh, uh, the three-part division is our position in Christ. Uh, that is, we are seated with him in heavenly places. Our life in the world, that refers to our walk, which begins right here in chapter 4. And then the third has to do with our attitude toward the enemy, and that's in the middle of chapter 6, standing firm. So that gives you an idea of what we're facing here and uh, gives you a, 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 a springboard by which we, uh, we look into even the very beginning words of chapter 4, where it says, therefore I, and Paul is about to launch into this uh, out of the instructional mode and more into the uh, exhortation mode, or perhaps even into the the um, the encouragement mode, you might say. And uh, so he does so from his own physical address, and that is he is currently a prisoner of the Lord. And he frames his definition that way because he's seated in heavenly places, but he's physically a prisoner of Caesar. And uh, here on this earth, he is behind uh, iron bars. He is in a jail cell. And um, so he wants you to know this is the way he, he looks at his own situation in terms of his own application of the revelation that he's been given in the first three chapters. So he is a prisoner of the Lord, and that's where he, he, he begins his words. In other words, that establishes his ability to say the things he wants to say to the believers, and these believers um, perhaps are even facing some persecution or some difficulties, and he wants them to know 
that this is the position he's writing from uh, at a desk, perhaps, or maybe on a floor, or um, maybe with uh, uh, with some sort of writing instruments, or maybe with a with a secretary sitting just outside the bars uh, writing all this down. But it says, "I implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling." with which you have been called. Now, what's interesting is if you also look at the context and the way the literature of the Bible is actually constructed, you'll notice that Paul began in chapter 1, verses 15 through 23, with a prayer. He prayed for the believer's enlightenment. And what's fascinating is after he finishes that prayer, he spends two chapters talking about... uh, uh, the various things of their instruction, of, of their doctrine. And that's chapter 2, verse 1, all the way through chapter 3, verse 13. And so uh, that, in essence, is Paul's answer to his prayer for the Ephesian believers that they become enlightened by the power of the Holy Spirit. And part of that fulfillment of being enlightened, in other words, part of The answer to Paul's own prayer is Paul himself giving them the enlightenment that uh, that they need. And so Paul becomes an instrument by the power of the Spirit of God uh, of the answer to his own prayer. And uh, that's part of the literature, literature of the of the scriptures. And what's interesting here is that Paul has just finished his prayer in the last part of chapter uh, three. He finished a prayer about power about the Spirit of God uh, enabling them and giving them power and strength to face what they need to face. And he prays for that power in verses 14 through 21 of chapter 3. What then is also a part of the literature framework here is that uh, the rest of the book, chapter 4, verse 1, all the way through chapter 6, verse 20, is an answer to that prayer that Paul prays here in chapter 3 before he begins chapter 4. So it's important to connect things together, and you see a framework, not only in terms of a formal outline, but in terms of the literature uh, framework by which Paul is praying, and then he himself is an answer to his prayers, uh, his own prayers for the Philipp- uh, for that is for the Ephesians, and the same here. He prays for their their enlightenment, and he then gives them enlightenment. He prays for their power, and he gives them that power uh, written out uh, in these instructions here. So. Let's uh, let's continue on. It says that our walk, our conduct, should be a, in a manner worthy of the calling. Notice this is not the other way around. We don't walk in a manner so that we have a calling, but we already have this calling from God. He has placed his invitation upon our lives to not only trust Jesus as our Savior, but to fulfill his purposes in us while we are still on this earth. And those purposes are our, that is, uh, they become our calling. And 
And uh, our conduct then is to behave ourselves in light of our calling, not the other way around. We're not earning anything. We're not working in order to, to be labeled anything. We already have the label. We already have the purpose. We already have the position. That's the whole point of the book of Ephesians. And now we begin to behave consistent with our identity. And so that's what he uh, talks about here in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Verse 2, and he begins to outline what this looks like and in terms of uh, seven different things. And in fact, there are 14 different things to be be completely clear here uh, because He outlines this, or at least he goes about this. First of all, the first three verses are talking about the bond of peace. And there are seven things that solidify us in those first three verses. And we're about to get into those. And then verses four through six, there is the oneness of our calling. That is seven things that unify us. And we need these scriptures. Why? Because the uh, the believers of this age are divided about any number of things. And uh, from a practical standpoint, from an organizational standpoint, from a denominational standpoint, or even a congregational standpoint, there are many, many divisions. And so we need to know what the Bible has to say about what brings us solidity or solidifies us in our relationship to each other, and then what unifies us in our work for the Lord together in a congregation or as uh, the church of God. And we uh, trust that uh, you'll come back right after this musical break. back. We are still in verse one. And uh, I wanted to touch again on this idea that he, uh, he has here at the end of verse one, where he says, the calling with which you have been called. This is a summary in many regards of those first three chapters. And uh, again, go back and review those first three chapters in order to get the summary, in order to get the therefore down uh, pat, uh, you have to go back and look at what he says in the first three chapters. Remember, we uh, the believers in Ephesus are called saints in chapter 1, verse 1, even though they haven't done much. <laughs> they haven't performed any miracles or, or the things that we normally acclaim as being uh, sainthood. Uh, they were believers, and that was it. That's what the Bible says 
qualifies us to be saints, and that is our identity in Christ. Uh, We are seated in heavenly places, which I've already referred to in the first half of this episode. Chapter 2, verse 6. Chapter 3, verse 13 talks about the fact that we were sealed in him. Uh, Chapter 2, verse 11 talks about the fact that we were created in Christ Jesus. Chapter 2, verse 16 says we are in one body. This new spiritual organism that's connected to Christ as our head. This is a body, and it's also called a church in the uh, uh, the English translation, but the original Greek was ecclesia, the called out ones, the called into an assembly kind of people. And uh, that's what the church is. In fact, the, the original Greek word, uh, ecclesia, where, where that word was used uh, even for uh, civic mean, meetings or or uh, municipal governance uh, where the citizens would gather together into a meeting called an assembly, and they would use this word. It was a secular word before Paul adopted it as a characterization of the way believers have been called into this meeting, called into this assembly of their own because they are identified with Christ. And so we're members of one body. Um, and we're also members of this mystery, which is called the church, uh, chapter 1, verse 22, as well as chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. So based upon this this uh, this position, this relationship, this identity in Christ, then he says, this isn't our new instruction about what solidifies us in this position. And that begins with the humility. This is seven things that solidify, and it begins with humility. We have to have the humility of Christ in order to get along with each other. We have to be able to realize that we are not here because we're something special. We are here because Jesus is something special, and we recognize that we are only in his uh, uh, position, or that is, in relationship to him, Uh, do we have any status? And that's the point. It is uh, looking at ourselves squarely. And looking at ourselves squarely puts us squarely at the foot of the cross. It puts us squarely uh, under the Lord Jesus. And um, so that means we can approach life with humility. We're not in competition with anybody. Why? Because we never were. Or at least once we come to Jesus, we're not in competition. Why? Because Jesus Jesus is the one that satisfies the penalty for sin and gives us a righteousness that we ourselves could never have produced on ourselves. So that, uh, that produces this uh, character called humility. And we have Jesus as our example and and in fact, uh, Philippians chapter two verses five through eight uh, begins with that exhortation: "Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus." And you can go back and and read that entire passage and and see uh, what that means in Jesus's case, and then uh, that will uh, cause perhaps uh, an easier way to look at ourselves with a certain kind of humility, because he really did do it all for us. Then it says, with all humility and gentleness, that means we don't have to boss each other around or become each other's critics. Uh, we can do so with gentleness. The King James uh, uses the uh, the old word meekness, and it doesn't that 
word doesn't mean weakness. It means a strength that comes uh, from understanding exactly where our authority comes from. Our authority doesn't come from our physical brute strength. It doesn't come from intimidating other people. It comes from understanding that our authority comes from Christ. Our authority comes from him, from his words, from his book, from his uh, written uh, written words. And uh, that means that carries the authority, not us. We don't have to personally impress each other uh, with our uh, intellect or with our, uh, our argumentation or with our ability to debate things. We have authority because Jesus has said it and because, because he is our authority and not our own. We're not inventing things as we, uh, as we go. That means we can approach this with a balanced approach. It says with patience. And, and uh, that means uh, in the King James, it's translated long-suffering, which is actually more uh, of a literal uh, translation of the original Greek word. But um, what it refers to is the fact that uh, that we have um, now, we're not on a race. We're not on an expiration date. We are, in in many regards, uh, not competing with each other, so we don't have expectations about how speedily you should grow up in the Lord or vice versa. In other words, we can show patience to each other because each believer grows in the Lord at perhaps a different pace or a different uh, um, uh, progress. And uh, that's why we can show patience because we understand this. And uh, and then it says showing tolerance for one another in love. This has to do with bearing with each other or enduring one another. And we do that because we love each other, not because we're trying to just brush off uh, things that are inconsistent with Christ, but rather because we are willing to say you are not uh, uh, in the same category or you're not as as mature uh, as another person or maybe someone else is more mature in one area, but you're more mature in this area. Uh, and we look at things differently because we can not only show patience to each other, we can actually put up with each other. And uh, that uh, that sounds like a negative term, but that sometimes is what we do in the name of love. That is the agape love, the kind of love that, and by the way, that's the fifth thing that uh, solidifies us is this new love that we have for one another. And that new love has been established and defined by the work of Christ himself. He, uh, he laid down his life for us. Therefore, we understand that we all have the same value. It was purchased by his blood that gives us the same value as each other. Doesn't matter how much money we have. Doesn't matter what kind of uh, wardrobe we have or what kind of status we have in the community, what kind of politics we own. It has to do with with the fact that we we love because he first loved us. And uh, then uh, the sixth thing is our diligence. And notice this diligence has to do with preserving the uh, the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. And the bond of peace is the um, is the seventh uh, item there that solidifies us. So uh, our diligence 
is the sixth item that solidifies us. Because why? Because the Spirit of God is the one that is already that is produced the unity. He's the one that authored the unity. We don't construct unity by uh, uh, playing, uh, 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 you know, uh, uh, playing fun games with each other or or being uh, in the same room with each other or agreeing in, in the same doctrinal statement with each other. We have unity because the Spirit of God has given us the unity. He's the one that placed us here. He's the one that gives us true unity. And therefore, our responsibility is not to try to create unity, but rather to stabilize what the Spirit of God has already done with um the believers in Christ in giving them that unity. And the bond of peace means that we're not in this game to somehow win arguments and influence people in a political fashion just for our own uh, aggrandizement. It says, then in verse 4, uh, there is one body, one spirit, just as you were called in one, uh, one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So you see, these are the things, these are seven things that unify. Why? Because they are one. These items are one. And if we ascribe to these items, then we become one with each other. And again, this might might have or might include uh, some doctrinal issues or some teaching issues, some biblical issues, uh, one way or another. But it's interesting that he begins with this foundation. Um, and the foundation is there is one body, and uh, that's the first one. That is this new body, this corporate union we have with each other because we have a union with Christ. And therefore, we, this is the Spirit's work to place us into Christ, and by being placed into Christ, then we are a member of his body. And we may be a variety of different kinds of members, but we are still one body. Because why? Because we have one spirit. And uh, this same spirit is the one that, that sealed us in verse 13 of chapter 1. Pledge, he is our pledge in chapter 1, verse 14. He is indwelling us in chapter 2, verse 22. He is giving us access in chapter 2, verse 18. He is revealing to us the new truths that the Spirit of God wants us to know as New Testament believers in chapter 3, verse 5. And he gives us power in chapter 3, verse 16. And we have just as you were called in one hope of your calling. So we have one hope. What is that hope? Seeing Jesus again. If you don't want to hope in seeing Jesus again, then we can't be unified. But when we do share that same hope that Jesus is going to return to this earth, set up his kingdom on earth, then we can have this one hope of our calling. That's what we're called to, and one Lord. Why? Because he is the one who is our boss. He's our master. He's the one who is in control. He is the one who has the authority, and that's the reason why he's called one Lord. Uh, one faith, that means those who are trusting for their salvation, those who are placed their trust in Jesus as their Savior, then we share that together. That is our oneness. 
um, one baptism. That doesn't mean that we all have the same ceremonies necessarily, but the baptism is that especially from the Spirit of God that has placed us into Christ. According to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, we have been, by the Spirit of God, immersed into Christ. That is part of what the Spirit of God did, and since we have been placed here by the by the uh, baptizing work of the Spirit, then we have this connection, not only with Christ, but with each other. And one God and Father of all, who is over all and in all and through all. We are in the same family. We may share uh, maybe uh, uh, different denominations or different uh, histories as far as our congregations are concerned or different practices when we gather in our various congregations and very definitely different addresses in our congregations. But The fact is, if we are members of God's family through faith in his son, then we become brothers and sisters in him and brothers and sisters with the same father. And this father is over all. That means he's sovereign. He is through all. That means he's omnipotent. And he is in all. That means he's omnipresent. And if we believe that, then we also share in that oneness because we own these things uh, as the things that cause us to be one. We need to remind ourselves of these things, regardless of the varieties of other things. We have these things in common, which causes a unity that overwhelms everything else. Thank you, Father, for these moments together. Thank you that your Holy Spirit can reveal to us these things that we need to know and know assuredly so that we can walk in them, so that we can behave in them and not in our flesh. We trust in you to make us the people you you have purposed us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. I hope you enjoyed our presentation today. This is Glendale Tony. Join us again for the next episode of Feeding the Flock.